Well, here I am in the building of Stone Creek Church, 13540 Highway 9 North in Milton, Georgia. And man, it is lonely. It is dark. There's a major echo in here, and it's a little spooky if I'm just being honest. You know, the church has literally left the building. And, and listen, we, we want to get back. We need to get back, don't we? We miss being together. We miss the power of what God does when we gather together. But when we get back together, listen, things will be different. We will be changed. There's some things that we can't control that will be different, but there are some things that we can control that will be different. And listen, you will be different, but you can be better. And listen, we can be better. The title of my message today is more than just one hour of your week, more than just one hour of your week. Let's pray together. God, we're just grateful that just through the power of technology, we can gather and we can worship, we can hear your words taught, God, that we can lean into the things that you have for us to transform our hearts. And I pray that today that will be what happens during our time together, that, that this message, that this experience online, God, would just help people love you more, find their purpose and their calling. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, you know, do you remember what it was like to sit in this chair? I know you miss sitting in this chair, right? I mean, even though it may be a little dated in color and it's got some wax stains on it from one too many Christmas Eve candlelight services, you, you miss sitting in this chair. I miss you being in this chair. Like, I miss you laughing with me and at me. I miss you saying amen. I miss seeing your face. I miss you nodding in agreement or nodding off to sleep when I bore you to death. Like, I miss you being here. There's something about being together that is energizing. And I know many of you have never sat in a chair in this particular auditorium, but, but, but this chair is really symbolic of wherever it is that you watch church. You remember what it was like to come here and sit in this chair? Man, you come into the parking lot and you see a friendly face who's going to wave to you and tell you good morning and you make your way up onto the patio and up on the patio, there'd be somebody to greet you and you maybe see some familiar faces and just felt some energy and just felt like you belonged. And then if you had kids, you go and check them in and, and then you would, you know, you'd be a little rushed, but not too rushed not to stop and get that cup of coffee. And then you'd walk into this auditorium and you would, you would sit in this chair and then it would start. And what is it? What is it exactly that would start? The show would start, right? If, if we're honest, you know, the show would start. If we're honest, it's, it's part show. It, it's not that that's bad. It's just that we have lights and there's cameras and there's production and there's sound and there's presentations. You know, there's, there's something about it that feels a little bit like a show. And, and the problem with us looking at it like a show is what we expect is to be entertained and then we evaluate. You know you evaluate, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. I hope my favorite worship leader is leading today, and I hope he sings my favorite song. I hope she is um, in my favorite outfit. I hope this, I hope that. And then he gets to the sermon. It's like, I wonder if I believe that. Uh, I hope he's going to be funny. Oh, that was hilarious. Oh, I don't, can't believe he just said that. That was inappropriate. You know, there's all these things that we begin to evaluate. And what happens is it turns into just this one hour a week entertainment show. Is that really the way it's supposed to be? You know, is that what Jesus had in mind when he instituted the church to be this living organism of people carrying his message to the world? Like what if, what if what happens in this chair isn't for us to be a spectator, but what if this is just the first scene 
to the rest of our week? What if it's the opening lines to the production that God wants to do in our lives over the course of the week? You know, what if rather than coming with this sense of evaluation, we showed up with a sense of expectation that God would do something in our hearts, that God would do something in our lives, it would launch us into the rest of the mission that he had for us. You know, I think everybody wants more out of life. I know that I do. And I think we all sense that something is missing. But what if, what if, what if this one hour a week could be the setup for us to live lives with more boldness, to be able to walk with more confidence, and to be able to step into the calling that God has for our lives. The church has left the building and we can't come back different, but we can come back better. Hey, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in a book called Second Timothy, a book called Second Timothy. Would love for you to grab and turn there with me. You know, Second Timothy is actually a letter that was written by this guy named Paul. Paul's a very substantial figure in the New Testament, um, probably next to Jesus, maybe the, the second most substantial and important figure. And Paul started this church and he left Timothy to be the pastor. And Timothy's coming under some criticism. He's coming under some confrontation. Timothy seems to be struggling with some doubt. And Paul writes to him to talk to him about how much he should step into all that God has done in his life, that he shouldn't hold back, that he should step up. And I believe this is the call for the church during the COVID-19 crisis. As we look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. He says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he starts out with this, this idea in verse eight. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share in the suffering. Listen, have you ever been ashamed of anything? Like, like maybe, you know, when you were a kid and you said something you shouldn't have said, or maybe you stole something, or maybe you pulled your sister's hair, or you did something you, you knew, knew was wrong, you were, you were a little ashamed. Maybe as an adult, you've done some things that you were ashamed of. And, you know, when we do something and we regret it, we have this sense of shame. But, but Paul's not actually talking about that kind of shame. What Paul is talking about is something that we, that we do and later on find out it didn't deliver for us, some good that we expected to receive, but then it didn't happen for us. And so now we've kind of gone out on a limb and we're kind of stuck. And so we're a little ashamed to say that's what we did. It's a little bit like maybe you're a, a sports fanatic, right? And sometimes if your sports team wins, then Man, then you're always all in. You got the flags coming out of your car. You got on the, the polo every day. You go to work, man, because your team won. But what happens when, when your team loses? You know who is never, you know, when, you know when a Georgia fan is never wearing their red polo shirt with that G on it? The Sunday after they play Alabama, that's when. I say that because I'm a, I'm a Georgia fan, right? I, I get that. I feel that pain uh, that that can happen too. But, but you understand what I'm talking about, that, man, sometimes when we go all in on something and it doesn't work out for us, we can feel this sense of shame. And so Timothy, Timothy is facing this heavy weight of leadership in his church. 
People have begun to criticize him. They've begun to doubt and to mock the actual resurrection of Jesus. And so Timothy seems to be maybe, maybe just maybe hedging just a little bit because that's what we do when we're uncertain is we begin to hedge, don't we? And Timothy's beginning to hedge. But, but here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Timothy, don't hedge, but double down on Jesus. Listen, don't hedge, but double down on Jesus. He said, share in the suffering. In other words, lean into this message, lean into this truth of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if we're honest, we know a little bit about hedging, especially when it comes to our faith. You know, we'll put one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. We'll have one foot in and one foot out. We'll be straddling the fence, depending on, depending on what our needs are and what situation that we're in. Have you ever hedged on, the, on your faith? I, I, know, I know there have been times in my past when I wasn't sure, do I step into this or not? Am I going to embarrass myself? Am I, I going to be criticized? But listen, anytime there's a movement of God, anytime there's an awakening or what some people may call revival, it's when God's people, God's church, lean in and double down on the person of Jesus. I love the story about Wes Stafford, who was the former president of Compassion International. Wes Stafford is just a giant in the faith. And there came this time period when Compassion was you know, trying to grow beyond one million children sponsored. And their mission statement was to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And so they brought in a consultant to help them bust through the million kid barrier. And one of the suggestions, one of the recommendations from the consultant was that they would take the name of Jesus out of the mission statement because that would open up more avenues for funding from different groups that, that may not otherwise uh, contribute money. And then that would help propel them past the million child mark. And Wes heard the recommendation, but then he came back and he says, you know what? We're not going to accept that recommendation. As a matter of fact, we are doubling down on Jesus. You know, Wes wasn't going to hedge. And now Compassion International doesn't sponsor over a million kids. They sponsor over two million children. Listen, when you double down on Jesus, you see results. When you double down on Jesus, you see him do what he can do. Let me ask you a question, man. Are you a hedger? Are you hedging when it comes to your faith? Or are you doubling down on Jesus? Listen, people whose faith moves beyond the chair, people whose faith moves beyond one hour a week, man, they double down on Jesus. You know, I wonder for some of you who've never really made that decision to double down on Jesus, you've never even made a decision to follow him at all. Listen, what would it be that would hold you back from doing that? What would doubt would you have? What question would you have now during this time that we call the Corona crisis? Now's the time for you to really come to grips with what you believe about who Jesus is. And if he is who he says he is, and if he did the things that we know he did, then he is worth doubling down on. He will change your life. Listen, if we want to be a church that's better when we come back, we can't hedge. We have to double down on Jesus. And then Paul continues in verse nine. He says, sharing the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. So it says he saved us and it says he called us to a holy calling. You know, when we think about being saved, it's a little bit of a religious term. It's something maybe you heard maybe when you were a kid and, and maybe you hear even people talk about it today. I got saved. And what does that mean? And so what Paul is kind of painting the picture of is that we're saved from something and we're called to something, right? We're saved from something. What is it specifically that we're saved from? We are saved from sin. Listen, we are saved from sin. Sin is not popular to talk about. I can remember back years ago when I worked for an insurance company, I was having a conversation with a guy and I began to talk about sin and he just, his mentality was like, I don't think we should talk about that. That just makes people feel bad about themselves. And I said, 
People already feel bad about themselves. People already know there's a problem. When we talk about sin, we're talking about the solution. You see, sin is what has broken our lives. It's why our hearts are broken. It's why our world is broken. It's the reason why we're in this pandemic that we're in, maybe not for some specific sin, but because the world as we know it is not as God intended it. And so sin has come into the world. And you may, you may be like, well, what exactly is sin? And the way the Bible defines it is just any time that you miss the mark that God has for you. You know, God has placed in you a desire. He's placed in you a purpose. And when we miss that, when we go outside of what God has for us, that's called sin. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever said anything you wish you wouldn't have said? It lets you know right there that something's wrong. Have you ever done anything you wish you wouldn't have done? Has anybody ever done anything to you that you wish they wouldn't have done? Listen, that's the effects of sin. And what Jesus has done through his work on the cross is he has saved us from sin. But not just that. Watch what Paul says. Paul says he has called us to a holy calling. Like He's called us to a holy calling. And I love this imagery. When we, we had this idea of being called, it's as if we've been invited to a feast. That's what this word means. This means it means we've been invited to a feast. And the feast is the goodness of God. You see, we have been invited by God to create lasting change in the world. That we've been given purpose, we've been given value, and God wants us to use this for this holy calling. People who come back better, they realize that God didn't call us to just sit in a chair, that God called us to be set apart. God didn't call us just to sit in a chair, God has called us to be set apart. He says, we have, a, we have a holy calling. It's higher than any calling you could ever invent yourself. You could ever create yourself, any purpose you could ever find yourself, this calling, it's holy. Now, holy is another kind of religious term that, that we don't always know um, how to use it. Sometimes we use it in ways we probably shouldn't. I think you know what I mean. Um, but we say things like holy cow and holy moly and holy roller. And um, we just know that what holy means is just to be set apart. It just means that we are set apart. We're not called to just sit in a chair. We're called to be set apart. I want you to think about something in your house that you value right now. You know, for me, uh, one of the most important things I have, even as an adult, is my baby blanket. I have a baby blanket from when I was a small, small kid that my aunt actually made for me. And I've kept it all these years. And I have it set apart in a special place so that when my wife wants to go to Goodwill, she won't take it there but because it's valuable to me. And listen, God has set us apart because we are valuable to him with a holy calling. And sometimes when we think set apart, we think about do's and don'ts. We think about the things that we're not supposed to do and the things that we should do to be a good Christian. And in every group of Christians throughout history, has had this list of do's and don'ts that kind of characterize them. It, there's this funny joke that goes like that, this, there are three religious truths. Jewish people don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Protestants don't recognize the Pope as the head of the church. And Baptists don't recognize each other at the liquor store. And when you have four Episcopalians together, you always have a fifth. And I think you get kind of what that means, right? It means that you know, every religious group has their set of behaviors that kind of identify them. And there's some things that you do and some things that you don't. But what Paul is talking about is that we are set apart. There's something special about us. There should be something different that marks our lives. And clearly, it should start on the inside, that our hearts should be washed clean, that the gospel of Jesus should wash over our lives in such a way that we're transformed on the outside. And it necessarily means that we're going to behave differently than a lot of people around us. 
you know, one of the marks of, a, of an awakening or what some people may call revival is there's this call back to holiness, this call back to act like God was have us to act. And too many times what happens is Christians are unrecognizable from the rest of the world. What we tend to do is we tend to separate ourselves based on some weird behaviors rather than on the behaviors that we see in the Bible and rather than on behaviors that start from a transformed, renewed heart. You know, I wonder for you, like, what are some things that if you examined your life over this quarantine and you look at some things, are they different than people who don't follow Jesus? You know, what about your language? Is your language different? Do you talk different? Do you use different words? Do you approach conversations with a different um, direction, a different angle based on who you are? What about your relationships? Do your relationships look different? Man, the way you treat people, the way you love people, is it just like your neighbors? Is it just like people that we see in the news? Is it just like um, people we see on, uh, on the internet? Is it just like that on Facebook? Or do we treat people differently in our relationships? What about your work ethic? Is your work ethic different? Like, have you noticed when you're at home, do you work just as hard as you do when you're in the office, when nobody's, when nobody's watching you at home? Do you work that hard? What about your work ethic? What about your marriage? What about your parenting style? Listen, we're called to be set apart. We're not called to, we're called to be set apart to be somebody different. We have a holy calling on our lives. It's this invitation that God has placed on our lives for us to create lasting change in the world. Listen, you weren't, you weren't created just to sit in a chair. Man, you were created to be set apart. You're called to be set apart and to live out the calling that God has for you. You know, I love the way that Paul kind of shuts out this particular, the way he shuts down this particular sentence. In verse 12, Paul says this. He says, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Man, Paul was convinced that God was going to guard everything that he had given him. What is it that Paul was convinced of? Man, Paul was convinced of the work of Jesus. Paul was convinced that Jesus had abolished death. Jesus had abolished death. Through his resurrection, Jesus abolished death. And I think if we look around, we are faced with so much death, aren't we? Man, whether it's just from people who've died of natural causes this year or accidents or tragedies to what's happening with COVID-19, because every day, every day we get an update on the death toll. We get one from our city. We get one from our state. We get one from our country. We get one globally. We get a death toll every single day. And what it should cause us to do it's to really come to grips with what happens after we die. And is the work of Jesus really sufficient for us after we die? What this, what this should teach us is that we are going to die. We, 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 we have come face to face with the reality of our death. What's going to happen after we die? Paul was convinced that Jesus had abolished death. But more than that, that Jesus had brought life. L listen, let's make no mistake about it. The hope of Christianity the promise of Christianity is not that you'll act differently. The promise of Christianity is not that you'll just be a good person. The promise of Christianity is not that you should just get involved in some Christian activities and your life will work out. The promise of Christianity is life. We know that Jesus rose from the dead and, and, and offers us immortality. And we've looked to so many places for life. Listen to me closely. Can we just acknowledge that everything we've seen in the last four months has been so unexpected and it's revealed to us how weak everything is that we've trusted in. Can we just acknowledge, like, who would ever expected that a virus from across the ocean would have impacted our country this way?
Who would have ever thought that an economy that was roaring along at a record pace would come to a screeching halt literally overnight? Who would have thought that some of our healthcare systems would have been shut down? What about our entertainment venues? That everything would have been shut down overnight. Listen, we need something better than that. Man, we need a hope that is an anchor for our souls that doesn't move, that we can have confidence in. Listen, when you have clarity in Jesus, you have confidence in how to live. When you have clarity in Jesus, you have confidence in how to live. And boy, do we need life today, don't we? Just ask the anorexic that's struggling through an eating disorder and wondering where they can find some hope. Man, just ask the alcoholic who's now at a point in his life where he's at home all the time with all these temptations and doesn't know how to kick that addiction, man. Ask the guy who's struggling with rage or the mom who's struggling with insecurity what they need. They need life. They need the hope that is the anchor for our souls. Listen, church is supposed to be more than just one hour of our lives a week. What if we began to live like this one hour together actually was a launching pad for us to go into ministry. You know, as I think about the hour that we miss, I know the power that is in this hour. I mean, I know that when we come together and when we worship together and when this room is full of people praising God, that our hearts are somehow lifted up, that, that we're emboldened to be able to take the message further, that we're reminded to double down on Jesus Man, when, when, I, when I sit here and whether I'm teaching or Joey or someone else from our teaching team, I'm learning and God is transforming my heart. I know how important this particular hour is, but we need to reframe this hour. Man, this hour doesn't need to be the end of our week, but only the beginning. You know, the church always leaves the building. We, we leave the building every single week. It's just this time we've left for an extended period of time. And we, we won't come back the same. We will be changed, but we can be better. Listen, we don't need to hedge. We need to double down on Jesus. We, we, don't, need to, we don't need to just come to sit in a seat. We, we need to come and realize our call is to be set apart. And when we have clarity of who Jesus is, we have confidence in how to live. And listen, my hope for us, Stone Creek, is that during these months that we've had out of the building where we haven't been able to gather that we would reframe how we see everything that we do in this room, that we would realize that when we come together, that God wants to use that time to mobilize us, to connect us, and to leverage us for the nations, that God has a message of love and grace for the people of this world, and it's our job to show them this hope that will be an anchor to their souls. Listen, don't, don't come back. Don't come back the same. Come back different and come back better. Let's pray together. God, we're just grateful for technology and the way that we, uh, man, we can learn, we can worship, we can be challenged and inspired even when we're not in the building. And God, I pray that uh, when we come back, God, that we would just continue to understand that your call is for us to always leave the building, that your call is for us to always gather so we can go, so we can make a difference. God, that there's people that you want us to reach, that there's people who need the message of the grace of Jesus and the anchor of their souls. And so God, we'd be a people that was so captured with the vision of Jesus that we couldn't stop short. 
you know, let's, as we, if we could, let's continue in a spirit of prayer. And it may be that you have never made this decision to follow Jesus. You've never really given your life to him. You've never really doubled down on him. And I would love to, to lead you in, in an opportunity to be able to do that today. The way that we do that is through prayer. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not that the words that I say make this effective, but it's the words of your own heart. And so in your own way, in your own words, if you would just pray after me, dear God, I've tried to do it my own way and it hasn't worked. I confess that I have missed the mark that I've sinned. I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I commit my life to follow him. And you know, the Bible teaches us that that when you do that, what happens is that God supernaturally comes in your life and gives you a new heart and you begin to have new desires and a new way of living. And one of the things about that decision is it's so epic. We want to help you mark that decision. We want to help you mark the moment of this day and this time. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to do something that we would do if, we were, if you were right here in the building today. I'm going to count to three. I'm asking you just to raise your hand just as a sign, as a symbol that I've committed my life to Christ, just to mark this moment. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. One, two, three. So if you yeah, just raise it, man, if you raise your hand, we are so excited for you. We're celebrating with you. We would love for you to just drop a comment in the comment section just to let us know. We'll give you some instructions so that we can put some next steps in your hand. God, thank you that you change lives no matter what the, what, how the message is communicated, God, whether it's through technology or whether it's on paper, God, or whether it's uh, you know, face-to-face, that God, you are a God who's in the business of changing lives. And God, that we'd be a church and that just is excited about getting together so that we can do more for the kingdom and see more people come to know you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.